The text for Pastor John's sermon this morning is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, you can find that in a pew Bible on page 1438. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. May the Lord bless to us the preaching and reading of his word. The goal of this sermon is set for us, for me and for you, here in the first phrase of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Peter's response now to what he said, what he's about to say. He's about to say that God caused you to be born again, that God gave you a living hope, that God raised Jesus from the dead, that God's keeping a great inheritance for you in heaven, and he releases his heart response, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of this message is that from your hearts and my heart will leap out a blessing to God. In other words, worship is the goal of this message, just as worship was the goal of Peter's own exposition. He's about to talk about these great things that God has done for him and for those believers, and he doesn't have to begin this way. He does not have to tell you what's going on in his heart. He could have started off like a lecture and said, my topic today is regeneration. And I have four or five Relating doctrines, God, resurrection, hope, inheritance. And I now intend to speak clear, incisive truth about these things. He could have just started like that. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay. But he didn't. When I read this text and I read how he began... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. I think his hands were up. He had writing, but his hands went up like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I read that, I get a message about what I'm to do here. And the message I get is, you start like that. If I start like that, you start like that. If that bursts out of my heart, let that burst out of your heart and call for it to burst out of their hearts. Don't start this dealing with a few doctrines 
and then end and say, there it is, folks. Truth for your brains. Do with it what you please. Don't do it that way. I didn't do it that way. Don't you do it that way. So the message I pick up here from the way he starts this main paragraph after his introduction is preaching ought to be worshipful exposition. That's the new definition I came up with yesterday. I've got to give lectures in the fall of 1994 at Trinity Divinity School on preaching in worship. That's the title of the lectures next November, I think, a year from now. Well, yesterday I got one of them in preparing for this message. As I thought, how do you preach on a text that begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus? And the answer is, you preach worshipfully. You know, if, if you have in your heads the notion, 50% of this worship thing called morning service, 50% is worship and 50% is preaching. Wrong. It's wrong. 50% is worshipful singing, praying, and I hope even welcoming, and 50% is worshipful preaching. You can fail in both. You can sing without worshiping. You can read without worshiping. You can pray without worshiping. I can preach without worshiping. Or we can succeed and worship all the way. Which simply means worship is seeing something glorious and great and attractive and exciting and beautiful about God. Seeing it with your mind. Feeling an appropriate emotion in your heart could be brokenness, could be fear, could be excitement, could be joy, could be a bursting sense of admiration and gratitude. And third, this thing gets released in song or prayer or amens in my preaching. It's okay, you know. I thought, am I the only one worshiping when I preach? I hope not. But I know that you feel very constrained. You can be worshiping inside and not say anything. But if it comes into your mind and into your heart and gets near to your tongue to say, yes, John, <laughs> or amen, I don't mind if you let that go every now and then. All right. You want to try? Let's just practice. Say amen. Amen. OK, see, you can do it. Or if you have anything more up to date than amen, that'd be OK, too. The goal of the message, you see it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Blessed, worshipped, honored, adored, admired, cherished, glorified, magnified. I love you for what I'm about to read about you. That's the goal of the message. What's the truth and the reality now in verses 3 and 4? That's all we're looking at this morning is verses 3 and 4. Five next week. What is the reality in these two verses that has given rise to this blessing that bursts out of Peter's heart? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy. There's the first thing. God is great in mercy. If you wondered, is God merciful? The answer is he is great in mercy. So Peter's heart 
feels the mercy and he bursts out. Blessed are you, God, for your mercy is great. Who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so the second reality that bursts out of his heart, having been perceived by his mind, is he caused me and these saints, you who are born of God, he caused you to be born again unto hope that is alive. Once you had no life and now you have life, which is hope indeed. And when he grips the fact and the fact grips him that he was born not of his own strength, but by God, he blesses God. Blessed is the God and Father who caused me to be born again. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the third reality that he feels God raised Jesus from the dead and triumphed over death and opened the doorway into immortality so that my hope can be living forever and ever and ever. And he blesses God that God raised Jesus from the dead. He caused him to be born again, us to be born again, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. There's the fourth thing that makes him leap with blessing to God. If he fathered me, he is my father. If he begat me, he's my father. If he caused me to be born, he's my father. And children don't give inheritances to their father Fathers give inheritances to their children. We are the receivers. He's the giver. We have an inheritance now because we've been born into his family in heaven forever and ever. And when Peter sees that, when he feels that, he releases it and says, Blessed be God who gave me and promised me an inheritance. And finally, number five, an inheritance reserved or literally Kept in heaven for you. Who's keeping it? Who's keeping it for you? So that it won't be defiled. So that it won't perish. So that it won't fade. Who's keeping it? Who has that kind of power to keep your inheritance so that it is there, perfect, satisfying, forever and ever, and will never fade and never die and never perish? And the answer is God. And therefore, Peter feels that and he says, blessed be God. So here they are. God is great in mercy. God causes us to be born again to a living hope. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God promises us an inheritance and God keeps that inheritance so that it will never perish or fade or be defiled in any way. And therefore, blessed be God. Blessed be God. So do you, do you, do you see where it's coming from? The five realities glorious, infinitely valuable realities have been perceived by Peter's mind, felt in his heart, and now they are coming out in worship. Blessed be the God and Father. That's the meaning of worship. That's what we do here morning and evening. I am targeting your heart through your mind that your worship might be released through your mouth. Now, what's the main thing in this text? What's the main thing that God is doing here? The main thing 
is that God is causing the new birth. Verse 3. His mercy is great, and that is a main thing, but that is the source of, according to his great mercy, he's doing something. Namely, causing us to be born again. And the resurrection of Jesus is a main thing. It is a great thing. But again, it is underneath holding up the new birth here. It was the historical triumph over death that kept us from having hope. And now that he has triumphed over death through the resurrection of Jesus, he can beget us to a living hope. And so the main work in this verse is God caused us to be born Again, that's the main thing that's going on in this verse. Do you exult like Peter does in your new birth? Do you look back over your life and when you think about it, say, blessed be God. I praise you, God. I thank you, God. I honor you, I exalt you, I love you, for you caused me to be born again. There are some reasons why we don't do that very well. John 3, 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. All that we can do, all that flesh can do, that's just human nature, is produce more human nature. If there's going to be anything of a spiritual, supernatural kind, God has to do it. It has to be of the Spirit. Do you exult like Peter that that happened to you once upon a time? There's a problem here that accounts for why we don't do it very well and very much. And the problem is this. In the evangelical church in America, by and large, for 200 years or more, we have been taught that we do the decisive work in new birth, not God. You just breathe it in from the air of Arminianism. You don't need to know what that word means. It doesn't matter. What I show you from the Bible matters. We breathe it in. It is in the air that we did the decisive thing to get ourselves born again. Therefore, it is no surprise that there doesn't burst and explode from our hearts and out of our mouths. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, caused me to be born again. Well, I did it. So why should I be so excited about his stunning, sovereign mercy? Let me ask you a provocative question just to get at this. If I ask you this morning, in fact, I think I'm going to ask you, get ready to take a risk and answer it out loud. If I ask you this morning, how do you know you were born? I mean, the first time, physically. How do you know you were born? Give me an answer. Risk it. What? 
Hey, man, that's the right answer. I've got life. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm here. Look. I'm not in her womb anymore. I'm not a zero. I'm not non-existence. I'm here. There's only one possibility. I was born. Good answer. I didn't see who did it. Right on. Courage. Accuracy. Why didn't anybody say, I've got a birth certificate at home? That's a stupid answer. How do you know you were born? I've got a cart. I've got a cart. They don't give licenses to people who weren't born. Here's one. I know. I know I was born. There it is. That's a stupid answer. Why didn't I do some historical research? In Chattanooga, Tennessee, at a hospital, and find a little piece of paper with my footprint on it and match it up to the curly cues on the bottom of my foot and say, there it is, proof, I was born in this hospital, 1946, January 11. Or why didn't I get some signed affidavits from people who saw my mother big, and then just a few hours later, holding me in her arms. There it is, proof, affidavits. Why don't I give any of those answers? You simply say... I'm alive. I'm alive. I know I was born. But now suppose I ask the average evangelical churchgoer, how do you know you were born again? How do you know you were born again? How many would answer, I'm alive? The reason I know I was born again is I'm alive. I've got spiritual appetites. I love God. I trust Jesus. I'm alive to God. I know Him. I'm inclined to repent of my sins and confess them. I hate my old ways. I'm alive. How many answer that way? How many rather think this is the more common answer? How do you know you were born again? Because I asked Jesus into my heart. How do you know you were born again? Because I prayed to receive Christ. How do you know you were born again? I have a card here in my wallet. I signed June 6, 1952, that Jesus would be my Lord forever and ever. How do you know that you were born again? I did the things I was taught to do to get born again. And I infer that I was born again because I look at the things I did to get myself born again. I was taught, how do you get born? You get born by doing these things. Believe, receive, pray, or whatever. Imagine teaching a fetus how to get born. Why would there be such a difference between the way we answer the question, how do you know you were born the first time and how do you know you were born the second time? Why would there be this tremendous difference? And here's, I think, the main reason. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt we had zero, zero, absolutely nothing to do with our first birth. Anybody want to take exception to that? 
You did nothing to get yourself born. Zero to be conceived and zero to be born. You were caused to be born by the labor of your mother and the conceiving power of your father's sperm. You had nothing to do with it. You were brought into this world by another power and you can either thank God for it or now and then like Job and Jeremiah in their pits, resent it. But when it comes to spiritual birth, we change the whole image. We redesign the whole thing. We don't like this metaphor that God chose to use. And we do believe we chose it. And we do believe we caused it. And we do believe we did what needed to be done to get ourselves born again. We've been taught in hundreds of ways in this country that we choose to be born again and we cause our new birth. So when we're asked, um, how do you know it happened? How do you know your new birth happened? We answer, I did the things I was taught to do to make it happen. I received Jesus. I prayed to Jesus. I called upon the name of the Lord. And I made it happen. So it's not surprising that there grows up around that kind of self-understanding, that self-wrought being, a Christianity, which is very different than verse 3. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to His great Mercy caused me to be born again. God did it, and God will get the glory for it. It's the uniform teaching of the New Testament. Now, let me close by just stepping back. I almost turned this into this evening's message. God still may do this this afternoon. I'm not sure. But what I'm going to close with now is a half a dozen brief snapshots or pictures of what happened to me, which goes under the title of not only new birth, but a a lot of other things in the New Testament. And I'll give you the text from which each snapshot is coming, and you can check these out, because I know what I'm saying is very controversial. I don't care anymore. Because I believe it is the most important thing in the world to give God glory for what God does. And I believe it dishonors him tremendously when we rob him of the most glorious things for which the apostles bless him. You were born again by God that you might believe. Not because you believed. If you have believed... It is the cry of that little baby with the wallop of God's hand upon your bottom hanging between your mother's knees. You didn't cry yourself into existence. You cried because you got existence from God. 
I was dead one time in trespasses and sins. And God, in the great love with which he loved me, raised me from the dead. Ephesians 2.5 I did not raise myself from the dead. I was spiritually non-existent one time, a no-thing, not created. And then God came and created me in Christ Jesus for good works. I am a new creation of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.24 I was blind to spiritual things. Flesh and blood couldn't help me. It couldn't teach me. It couldn't open my eyes. And the Father in heaven revealed to me the glory of His Son and moved me to acknowledge Him and receive Him. Matthew 16:17. I was in spiritual darkness like the darkness over the deep before God made light. And then... 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, Then the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, shone into my heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Before he did that, I saw nothing of any value in Christ. Nor would in a hundred years I ever have come to him and left my earthly pleasures behind. My mother and my father and Pastor Gene Lawrence at White Oak Baptist Church planted the word and watered the word for some years. And it was God who gave the growth. I planted, Apollos watered, we are nothing, God created this plant. He made it grow. It is out of the ground. It is bearing fruit. Why? God did it. I was self-willed and rebellious and proud, going my own way. Never in a thousand years would I have turned and humbled myself. And God drew me to the sun. No one comes to the Son unless the Father who sent me draws him. I had no repentance in my heart nor any desire to change, but God graciously granted me repentance, 2 Timothy 2.25. I had no faith. Now mark this one. I had no faith. Nor was there any inclination in my heart to look like a weakling and depend on somebody else for everything I needed done for me. No way, no thank you. I have a will and I'm independent and I'm autonomous and I'm self-determining. I will never, ever, ever surrender this right. I will not trust another like you're calling me to trust another. And God gave me to believe. Philippians 1.29. God saved me by faith, and this was not my own doing. It was the gift of God. Why? So that I would bless Him and not boast in myself. So I want to call you this morning. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. 
and all that is within me, bless his holy name because he has done great things for you. Let's pray. Father, as we lift our voices now and release, release some of what we've felt in gratitude to you, help us. And as the prayer team stand here at the front, I pray that those who have been drawn to you, who have felt themselves wakened and quickened to this reality, would come and pray and confess their sins and receive Christ and thus give evidence that they have been wrought upon by the glorious sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. Oh, great God, we bless you. Let's stand together and sing.